living water. Jesus frequently will take events or natural or earthly uh, truisms and will apply spiritual meaning to that. Unfortunately, sometimes uh, when he does so, people continue to look at the earthly situation. Jesus is going to talk about water and living water and the difference. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. We're going to start with the very first verse. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was baptizing more disciples than John, and although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he himself left Judea and went away again to Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Now, what's happening here is that Jesus went from Jerusalem to Judea, was baptizing and creating disciples and, and teaching them. Uh, and there was, uh, John was also there. And there was this concern that, that Jesus was outpacing John and John dealt with that. Jesus, it seems, says that he knew that the Pharisees were aware didn't say that he learned about it or that he was told. So by implication, Jesus, through his knowledge as God, knew what the Pharisees were doing and thinking. And so because of that, he decides to leave Judea and go back to Galilee because he's always trying to uh, prevent the Pharisees from prematurely acting. And so he decides to go to Galilee, his home area, and away from the religious authorities there in Jerusalem. It says, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, this is very unique for Jesus, who's a rabbi, because the Jews who considered themselves uh, ceremonially clean and whatever would have nothing to do with the Samaritans, because they considered them as half-breeds and incorrect in their their worship and incorrect in their breeding. And so a quote-unquote uh, religious Jew would not even go through Samaria. They would go around and avoid Samaria, which would cause the travel to be that much longer, but then they could consider themselves clean. Jesus instead decides that he's going to travel through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. And Joseph, well, and I'm sorry, and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And so we're told that, that during this travel, that it's at the sixth hour, which is about noon. So it's getting the heat of the day from, you know, normally noon to about three o'clock is the hottest time of the day. And Jesus, showing in essence his humanity, is tired. So he decides to take a rest and sits by the well, which was uh, created by Jacob and his progeny. And there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So it's just Jesus 
and the Samaritan woman. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? And then there's a parenthesis so that John is explaining for those who aren't aware of the anti-Samaritan view. For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. So the woman, after being asked by Jesus for a drink, is somewhat um, sarcastic by saying, oh, wait a minute, you're a Jew. You don't have anything to do with Jews. I was Samaritans, and on top of that, I'm a woman, so you would even have less reason to have a conversation with me. So why are you asking me for a drink? Because the Jews would consider, even if I gave you a drink and you touched it, you would be unclean. And so her response is, I don't understand why you're talking to me. And Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus turns around and says, I asked you for a drink, but if you would have known who I am and the fact that I've asked you about water, you would have known that you should be asking me for living water. Now, it's interesting. You'll have all kinds of people who will talk about, well, the living water is the spirit or water is the word of God and those types of things. And, and all of those have scriptural references, and I, and I think they're appropriate. But I don't think it gets to the meat of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I would give you living water. And I'm going to explain what I think Jesus means by living water in just a moment. So she said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you will you get that living water? So... Again, she misinterprets Jesus, Jesus talking about a spiritual water, living water, and not physical water. And so like many people, when Jesus talks about a spiritual teaching, she misinterprets it about an earthly matter. And then she goes, you are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself? and his sons, and his cattle. So she's going, well, wait a minute. It's Jacob who gave us this well, and he drank it, and his cattle, and, and everybody since Jacob, we have been coming to get this water. You don't have anything to draw from. How is it that you can do this? Are you even greater than Jacob himself? And Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So Jesus explains a little more about what this living water is. And so he says, if you were to drink out of the well of, of Jacob, you're going to thirst again. You've come day after day to draw water and you're going to be thirsty again. And let's face it, that's what happens. Water is an essential part of our life. If we don't drink water, we will die. We can uh, not eat food for longer than we would survive without water. But the problem, again, with physical water is like other appetites, 
It never is satisfying. You need water every day, just like we have our other appetites. No matter what our appetites are, they never are satisfied. You can eat the largest uh, lunch or dinner and be stuffed, but in a few hours, you'll be hungry again. Those are some truths in the natural world. And yet, at the same token, uh, there are some truths about other appetites. People will have the appetite for sexual pleasure or have appetites for fame or power or all these other things or money, and they never satisfy because they're appetites. And Jesus is saying physical water is only there, but it will never satisfy you because you will need it again. But Jesus says, I am offering living water that will satisfy and will spring up like a well within you, and it will be living water, and it will you'll no longer be thirsty. You won't have those appetites. And so I believe that the physical water is one thing that Jesus is using as an analogy of the living water, and I believe that living water is faith in Jesus because we're told that our faith in Jesus is what gives us eternal life. And he's saying that this water will spring up into eternal life. And people who are disciples of Jesus, we even have hymns and other songs that talk about that Jesus satisfies. His, his drink, his, his presence is such that we aren't longing in our soul for more. So many other people have these holes in their life that they try to put things in to make them satisfied and, and to feel like they're whole because that hole is there for you to place God in and for you to have that well of living water that springs up into you and that Jesus satisfies. And so he uses that analogy saying, earthly water, like other appetites and other things, will never satisfy. But faith in Jesus and in who he is satisfies. And the woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I will indeed not be thirsty or come all the way here to draw. Again, she misinterprets what Jesus is saying. She's still thinking about physical water. She's not thinking about spiritual water because she doesn't want to come here. And it's obvious that she doesn't want to be there. One, uh, it's probably a mile or two from the town. She's there at noon, which means that not only she's trying to avoid uh, the men of the town, uh, but she's also probably trying to avoid the women of the town. And we'll see why in a moment that that might be the case. Uh, and so she's saying, I don't want to come here and have to draw water because it's an effort and it's hot. And I might be embarrassed because people might uh, cast aspersions at me or whatever. And so I just would rather not be able to come here. So I don't want to have to come, so give me this water. He, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. So Jesus gets right to the point and says, I know who you are. I know your life. 
I know your past. But notice he doesn't cast aspersions. He says, bring your husband. You've spoken the truth. But he knew that before he ever asked her the question. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Well, she's partially right. Jesus is a prophet. He's a priest. He's a king. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Lion of Judah. He's the Son of God. He is God. He's all of those things, not just a prophet. So she perceives because he tells her about her life. I find that probably what her next answer should have been was, Lord, forgive me for my past. But she doesn't. What I think she does is she deflects. Rather than dealing with what Jesus had just told about her, about her she goes, our fathers worship in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. So she now wants to have a theological debate with Jesus. Rather than dealing with it, the fact that Jesus just told her about who she is, she moves on to, let's talk about theology. And she goes, well, we Samaritans, as far back as the northern kingdom, created a place of worship on the mount just adjacent to this Jacob's well. And when the Ezra and Nehemiah attempted to rebuild the temple and the Jerusalem walls, the Samaritans were ones who tried to prevent that. And so then they reinforced uh, the worship there in Samaria rather than in Jerusalem. And they were so much so that they even had a slightly different version of the Pentateuch than the Jews did. They kind of altered it somewhat to fit their theology that they could worship there in Samaria rather than going to Jerusalem. So she's saying, well, the Jews say you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. We say you're supposed to worship here. In essence, what do you say? And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. So Jesus first tells her, your theology is a little wrong because you're worshiping, but you're not adequately understanding the scriptures because you've modified them somewhat. But you worship there, but you don't know what. You worship what you do not know. And we worship what we know. And she, he goes, the Messiah, the salvation that comes is going to come from the Jews. It's not going to come from the Samaritans. Even though they view Moses as probably the one and only prophet, Jesus says, you've excluded the whole counsel of God. And so you don't know that salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. So Jesus says, yes, there is a place in Jerusalem at the temple, and there are people who come and worship there. 
And there are people, the Samaritans come and worship on that mountain. Jesus says, there's our coming, and now is, is present, that it's not the place that you worship, but who you worship. And that God is seeking people to worship him in spirit and in truth. Not worship him in the sense of you do certain things like you give uh, sacrifices and you, and you eat certain things and you refrain from certain things. It's not the activity that God is seeking. He's seeking you to worship him in spirit and in truth, to have the truth of God who is truth. He goes, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. People love to either worship God in spirit. They want to, and in spirit, they oftentimes think, "Oh, it's how I feel, and I, I and I like this music, and I don't like that music, and I get goosebumps, and I feel." That's not worshiping in the spirit. That's worshiping in emotion. And there are others who want to worship, but they want to discount what the scriptures say about Jesus and about the Father and about the Spirit. They're not worshiping in truth, and they're not worshiping in spirit. But God is seeking those who will worship him both in spirit and in truth, not one or the other, but both. It's not where, but it's who. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. And then this, he who is called Christ, when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. So at least the, the Samaritan woman is aware that the, the, the scriptures talk about a Messiah. And because they look at Moses as a prophet, rightfully so, Moses talks about God delivering another prophet. And so she's picking up from that saying, I know that there's supposed to be a Messiah and he's coming and he's going to tell us all things and we're going to be able to, to worship him and to, to follow him. Now, Jesus' next statement I find very interesting. When religious people ask Jesus these types of questions, he tends to be very guarded in his answer. He also seems to answer in parables so that they're hearing that they would not hear and seeing they would not see. And so he doesn't answer them directly. But here's a Samaritan woman that, want, she's a Samaritan that, that uh, the Jews are prejudiced against. She's a woman, so she has, in this culture, a, a lesser place. And so in both cases, you would think, okay, he would not directly answer. But Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, unfortunately, I don't think that's a great translation. This is what I think the translation should have been. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, I am. Jesus is acknowledging both that he is the Messiah and that he is the Son of God. And so he answers plainly to this woman who's had this conversation with her. 
conversations about natural water and living water, about her husbands, about him being a prophet, about where to worship, and then about the Messiah. And he declares to her that he is the Messiah. When you truly, honestly seek for an answer, God will be forthright with you. When you want to play games, then he may be a little more fuzzy in his answer. You see, the Pharisees didn't want to follow Jesus as a Messiah. They would look for reasons to get rid of him and to deny him and to kill him. This woman sought out of her heart this man, and he gave her an honest answer. But Jesus tells her, I am Messiah. If you are tired of trying to fill that empty space in your life with a variety of different things. And like this woman, Jesus says, you knew who I was. You would ask him for living water and he would give it to you. It doesn't matter what your ethnic background is, doesn't matter your gender, it doesn't matter your past. What it matters is just like this Samaritan woman, you honestly seek the true answer and he will give it to you. And all God's people said, 